Father, we're thankful for your presence. And God, we're claiming today that we will see a victory. That each person that's gathered here under the sound of this message, God, is going to be inspired. That victory is not out of reach, Lord, but that it is already written into our futures because of who you are. You have designed us for a purpose and for a plan. And God, there's no weapon formed against us that can ever prosper against the plan that you have for us. Enable us today, God, not to be able to overcome our enemies, but to just believe that you have already made us more than overcomers and have welcomed us into your presence this morning so that we can become inspired and strengthened and made anew, afresh, God, because you have a plan for our days and our lives. We love you and we praise you. And this church gives you honor and glory this morning that is due only to you. Amen and amen. Go ahead, give him some praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may be seated. I'm going to hold, uh, Israel's not in here, so I can hold his feet to the fire and he won't know it. So we have been uh, hesitant to set another date for the opening because we've missed two already. And we've come to grips with the fact that things are going to be the, what they are. So 10 Sundays from today, 10 weeks from today is going to be our first service in our new building. November the 22nd, we're going to be opening. Actually, it's going to be our first Sunday. We're going to open that Saturday night with an affirmation service where we're going to have uh, a vision casting and affirmation of some of the ministries and things like that. So that'll be on Saturday night. We're going to try to make a whole weekend out of it. But whether we got paper on the floor and not carpet, we're going to open. If we got seats or we got uh, two by 12 sitting on buckets, we're going to open. So uh, we're going to have some stuff that's not in place yet and some stuff that's not straight yet and some stuff that's not colorful yet. But we're just going to keep working and keep plowing. Uh, we're not going to keep postponing the inevitable, which is uh, God's given us the land. Let's go take it. Amen. So let's, that's the plan, and, and we're, gonna, we're still working. I've been 40 foot in the air for a couple of weeks putting paint on a building. I did not know. I've touched every brick on that building. And there's a bunch of bricks. <laughs> so we, uh, it, it's a big project. It's taking longer than we wanted it to, but that doesn't everything. So we're, gonna, we're going to uh, set that. That's going to be from 10 weeks from now. So, so that means nine weeks from now, you're going you're gonna to have your last service in this building. So uh, that's, that's something that uh, I never knew if it was going to happen. And we're here. We're claiming if Jesus don't come back and get us before then, uh, we're going to meet over there on the other side of Weirton uh, uh, 10 weeks from today. So God is good to us. Amen. Keep praying, keep praying for strength. He's kept me healthy so far. He's kept me safe so far. There's been some times I wasn't sure about that. I fell off of a couple things, and some things have fallen on people. And, and uh, he's kept us all safe and secure. Pray for financial miracles. Uh, there's been things come up, as it always is when you do building projects, that you didn't budget for. And we're still waiting on some, uh, uh, some miracles to show up and do what uh, they, they can do. So uh, keep praying, keep believing, but... Ten weeks from now, we're going we're gonna to be in a different spot than we are right now. So this morning, I'm almost done with this series that I've been doing for the past, I think, ten weeks under God. We've been talking about describing and discussing who God is and what happens when everything is up under His auspice, up under His government. This morning is going to be one of the most powerful names 
and descriptions of God that you find anywhere in your Bible. My text this morning is going to come out of Genesis chapter 14. I'm going to kind of teach through it this morning. I'm going to kind of give you uh, an overview uh, from the text, and we're going to go line by line, precept by precept. That's why I'm not going to go ahead and just read the scripture up front, but I'm going to teach through it a little bit. Uh, in 2010, August of 2010, which would have been 10 years ago today, I can't believe it's been 10 years ago, uh, in Chile, there was a copper and a gold mine, and 33 miners were trapped in that mine. Some of you probably remember that. They've made movies about it. There's been a documentary, I think, made about it. And they were trapped underground, which, by the way, if you've ever been in a mine, it is a cold and a dark place. They were in a pit. There was no way for them to get out. They couldn't find any exits. And they were surrounded by things they could not penetrate. They tell us that they were over 2,000 feet deep in the earth. They didn't know for 17 days whether anyone knew they were alive or dead or if anyone even knew exactly where they were because they were alone, 33 of them, in the same hole. You know you're in trouble when the only folk that can help you are in the same hole you're in. And so these, these fellows were there and they were scared and they were hungry and cell phones don't work 2,000 feet underground and they'd been dead a long time anyway since it's been 17 days. We all know what it feels like to be hopeless. We all know what it feels like to be in a pit of despair and bless God, we all know what it feels like to be in there with somebody else. Amen. Stuck somewhere you didn't ask to be, stuck someplace you didn't want to be, with no way seemingly to get out. But here's the thing that I want to point your attention to. Why am I mentioning them this morning? Because if those 33 miners were ever going to get out, it would not be because they got themselves out. Someone from up higher than them was going to have to drill down low where they were and find them, locate them, and help them. Because when they couldn't get up, something from up there was going to have to reach down to where they are. I've come here this morning to describe a God to you that not only knows what pit you're in, not only knows how deep it is, but is higher than your pit and is able to get to you wherever you find yourself and bring you up. That's the God I'm going to describe to you this morning. Genesis chapter 14, a man named Abraham finds himself in a situation. Now, it's a situation you and I have never found ourselves in because uh, Abraham is uh, very rich and powerful, and it was a season of time in his life where there were kings that was going around and just conquering all of the lands. The Bible says in Genesis 14 that there's been a number of wars, and, and we're introduced to this coalition of kings who are going around just taking over territories. They are knocking over enemies and taking names, and, and they are... They are telling us in the Bible that they are indestructible. Nobody can stand against them because they have teamed up together to conquer all of their enemies. And verse 11 says this. This coalition of kings come and they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah. Stop right there. Now we have already previously been introduced to this place called Sodom in the story. Abraham with his nephew Lot, had come into a place where they were feeding their flocks 
And Abraham's crew and Lot's crew couldn't get along. So Abraham, even though he was older, he gave Lot preference. He gave him preferential treatment. And he told Lot, he said, you pick the high ground or the low ground, and wherever you go, I'll go the other place. Lot looked at the plains of Sodom and said, that looks good for me. And he went there and fell into all kinds. We learn later about Sodom and Gomorrah, about the stuff that was going on there. And it caused fire to fall from heaven because it was sinful and an abomination in God's eyes. And Lot had teamed up with that area in Sodom. The Bible says that when these kings came down, they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah. They took their food and they took them away. And verse 12 brings it a little closer to home because it says in verse 12, they took Lot. Abram's brother, which was actually his nephew, his brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom. Stop right there. Again, I don't have time to preach on Sodom and Gomorrah this morning, but when the Bible says that Lot moved toward Sodom, it says that he pitched his tent toward Sodom. By the time this story happens, he's moved into Sodom. How many times have you heard this preacher say, Sin will always take you farther than you want to go, makes you do things you swore you wouldn't do, and cost you more than you wanted to pay. He was just looking toward Sodom. Now he's done moved into the city. And now the same thing that happens to the city has happened to him. And I want to stop right there and show you in the Scripture that when they took Lot his nephew, and his goods, they departed. Look at verse 13. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram, uh, he, they, he told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the land of Mamre. Jump down to verse 14. And when Abram heard that his brother, his nephew, was taken captive, he armed and trained his servants, the ones that were born in his own house. There were 318 of them, and they pursued them to Dan. Stop right there. Abram had been done dirty by Lot. Abram had been taken advantage of by Lot. Abram, who was the elder, could have taken the best of the land, but he preferred his brother, and his brother Lot had decided he was going to get the upper hand. And yet, even though uh, Lot made a mistake, even though Lot went into the wrong territory, even though Lot chose the wrong path, even though Lot was up to no good, even though Lot had taken advantage of his uncle, even though Lot had made his own destructive choices, when it came down to Lot getting kidnapped by the enemy, Abraham says, that's enough of this. I'm not going to let the enemy take what God has promised me. I just come by this way this morning to inspire somebody that sometimes you got to overlook people's flaws. There's not a person sitting in this room that don't got some mess on them. And I wish that we would get to the place where we would no longer let what divides us keep us from loving each other. Because there is some messiness on every person in this room. There's some messiness in every family in this room. And what we get down to as believers in Christ is we're supposed to realize, but by the grace of God, that could be me. 
We've gotten so institutionalized about us versus them, we don't realize that sometimes God lets things happen just to see how we're going to respond. When a prisoner is taken by the captive, when the enemy takes somebody, it is the church's job to draw us a line in the sand and say, this will not last. The enemy of our soul is after every one of us. And make no mistake about it, if the enemy comes and gets me today, I hope some of y'all will come looking for me. I hope there's an Abraham at promise of victory that if I ever become Lot and I'm taken by the captive and I'm taken by the enemy and I'm taken into slavery, that you won't just say, well, I always knew there was something about that preacher, but that was no good. I always knew that he wasn't right. I hope you will get on your horseback and get 318 of your best people and come looking for me. We've gotten to the point where we can't overlook people's flaws even though we carry them ourselves. And Abram goes with 318 men. I want you to notice, 318 went to pick a fight with thousands. These coalition of kings had thousands of people that were marching through the land, burning cities, taking slaves. Uh, raping the, the, the women and taking the, the children into captivity. I mean, these were bad dudes. And Abraham had 318 of his chosen servants. Now, I don't have time to preach on know those among who you labor. But Abraham knew him and them 318 would stick with each other because the Bible says that he raised them in his own house. And he went after this group of armies and it says they chased them to Dan and they chased them to Hobah now when I look at the map of that area that's 240 miles and they ain't got no car they're not got riding on motorcycles they don't have an airplane 240 miles he said I'm going to get my nephew back I'm going to get my stuff back you can't have what God has blessed me to keep. I'm not going to sit here and be idle while the enemy takes what God has told me to possess. We have gotten so many people in the kingdom of God this day and age that do not realize that there has still got to be some fight in us. Just because God has told us that something is ours does not mean that the enemy's not going to take it from us if we stand idly by, expect a thief to steal. Verse 16 says, and he brought back all the goods. And he also brought back his brother Lot and his nephew not Lot and his goods and his women and the people. He got it all back. Yeah, say he got it all back. <laughs> uh, I'm just wondering whether the enemy has ever routed your life. I just wonder if there's anybody in this room that knows what it feels like to have your stuff taken without your permission. Does, it, does anybody in this room, uh, I wonder th this morning if the enemy has ever invaded your life and stolen something from you. I, I, I'm going to be honest and transparent this morning. There's been seasons of my life, even as a pastor uh, of this church, even as a minister of the gospel, that the enemy has invaded my life and he has stolen things like my joy. There's been times that the enemy has stolen my peace and stolen my provision. Sometimes he steals 
my hope. I, I wish I could stand here and tell you today that I am immune to these things, that I no longer allow the enemy to take from me. But there are days I wake up and say, God, if you don't help me today, I probably won't make it to the end of this day because I feel without hope. Pastor, you can't feel like Absolutely, I can feel like that because if I let the enemy come in and get beyond the veil, he will take and steal. Expect a thief to steal. And he takes and he takes and he takes until you don't have anything left to take. And as it's taken away, I can start looking for it and I can't find it. And I'm looking for it and I'm, I've, it's lost. But Abraham determined that Lot was not going to become a casualty of war. 240 miles later, they took back what the enemy had stolen. The odds were against them, but they didn't stop. The enemy kept coming, but they didn't stop. They, logic told them that there was no chance, but they did not stop. And all of this is the backdrop for the name of God that I want to show you this morning. Because in verse 17, the Bible says the king of Sodom went out to meet him. After his return, and the kings that were with him at the valley of Shava, which is in the king's dale. And verse 18 says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the most high God, or of God most high. The name that is used here in the Hebrew is the name El. Elion. El Elion. Now remember, El is an abbreviation of the name that we learned in week one, which was Elohim. Elohim is the creative name of God. It's the God who has all power because he created all things. So Elohim means he is God the most powerful. Elion means highest. So what El Elion means is he is the most high power. I wish I had a witness in this church. He is the highest power. That causes his name in realization that God is higher than anybody else who thinks they might be in charge. He is the most high power. When we say he's the God most high, that loses some of its contextual meaning in this scripture. He is the most high power. Power. That means that the kings were high until El Elyon stepped onto the battlefield. See, there's some stuff in your life that flex, likes to flex its muscles and show its strength. Depression will show up in your life and flex its muscles. People will use you and abuse you and manipulate you, and it'll cause you to have low self-esteem. And low self-esteem will flex its muscles and bucket you. And there are things in your life that, that like, uh, if you've been abused, you become... Uh, self-reliant you put up big walls to keep people out and when people try to love you right you don't you keep them at a distance because you don't trust people because trust issues will flex at you and, and you you've got problems with your mental capacity in your emotional state of mind and when people try to treat you right you always suspect because you're cynical because of people that have abused you in the past and have let you down and dropped you before you don't trust nobody and they'll flex 
looks at you. And you, you, all of these things that are God's trying to send you blessings into your life, but because you have been damaged and broken and manipulated and hurt and abused, you are the enemy flexes, and because he flexes, you get afraid and you shut down. But El Elyon wants you to know that there is no power above him. That includes cancer. That includes diabetes. That includes emotional trauma. That includes your mindset that don't, won't let you sleep at night. That includes insomnia. That includes heartbreak. That includes misery. All of this stuff that's flexing at you, bucking at you, telling you that you ain't enough. Telling you that you can't make it. Telling you that you can't hold on. El Elyon sent this preacher here to tell you that he is the most high power in your life. See, there's, there's things that front power. Bullies front. They buck. They, 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 they front. They stunt in front of you. They, they make you believe something that ain't real. The enemy loves to front. He loves to make you afraid because I'm going to tell you a secret about bullies. Bullies don't really want to fight. Bullies want you to live in intimidation. So that just when they open their mouth, you shut down. They don't really want to fight because their skills don't match their mouth. So when they, 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 they front, they intimidate you. And if you shut down due to intimidation, like Goliath tried on little David, 40 days the whole army of Israel hid because they had a fronter out there. He was big. He was powerful, he was trained, he was a warrior, he was a bully. And nobody wanted to fight the bully. And one little shepherd boy, who didn't even have no armor on, walked out there and said, I know who you are, but I know who he is. And you might be bigger than me. Oh, my God. You might be better at this warfare thing than I am. You might be more trained than me. You might have better weaponry than me. You might have a bigger mouth than me. Your muscles are bigger. Your weaponry is greater. But I know who is bigger than you are. And the biggest bully in the land can't compete. El Elyon has the most high power. This is why he's the most high. See, this, this is the kind of sermon that will change your relationship with God because you will stop going to God and begging him to do something about the devil because you ain't got to beg nobody that's got, the, got all the power. You ever notice why God ain't tore up about your situation like you are? You're missing sleep. You getting canker sores on your mouth and ulcers in your belly. And you go to God and you start telling him all about your problems. And he don't cry like you cry. He don't wring his hands like you wring your hands. He, stand, he, he, he ain't studying nothing about the enemy. As a matter of fact, you know what I've found out about God? Now, he don't talk to me all the time. I'm not one of these people who walk around and says, God, talk to me. But I've never one time in my walk with God had him address the enemy. Not once has God ever talked to me when he spoke to me, peace be still, calm down. Every time God gives me a revelation, it's about him. 
not about him. It's taken me 25 years of walking with the Lord to realize this. God don't talk about the devil. Because he don't have to talk about the devil. Because the devil is under him. And he has all power. And when you are all powerful, you ain't got to talk about nobody but you. Because if we ever get a realization of who it is God is, we don't even have, we spend all of our time rebuking the devil and fighting the devil and talking about spiritual warfare and talk about how much the devil has stolen. These seven kings had stolen all this stuff. But instead of talking about what the devil has done, why don't we talk about the one who is above the devil and above the angels and is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. So, that, so, so what happens is Abraham brings all of these. He wins the battle. Him and 318, it's ridiculous. Three, him and 318 servants win the battle. And all of a sudden, one of them, one of these kings, who got rescued by Abram, gets cocky. You keep reading this chapter. You find out one of them comes to Abraham and says, hey, let's make a deal. You keep all the stuff, all the spoils of war. Let me, as a king, let me have the people. Let me, let me have these kings because I want to parade them through town and show my constituents. Look what I did. I want to have a big parade in my honor. What do you mean? All you did was get kidnapped and then get rescued. And now you want to show somebody... What you done when you didn't do nothing? You're as bad as they are. He come to Abram and he says, hey, me and you are on the same side. We want the same thing. We want peace. We want unity. Let's make a deal. The king of Sodom comes to Abram. He says, you take all the stuff. Let me have all the people. The king that had been taken into captivity and couldn't rescue himself when Abram rescued him, he wants to make a deal. He wants to share credit. Let me explain something to you about the devil. He's always willing to cut a deal with you. The devil is always wanting to get some kind of glory out of what God is doing in your life. You don't understand it most of the time because... When you become partners with the devil, even though you serve in God, you don't feel like it's possible. But we've got people that sit in pews every Sunday, not just in this church, but in every church. We sit in pews and lift our hands to heaven, but our attitudes are far from God. Our attitudes have made partnership with the enemy. We, uh, we've got our hands raised and we're singing the songs and we're clapping our hands and we're telling the preacher good preaching but all the while we got bitterness and hatred welled up inside of us we're making a deal with the devil I wish I had a witness in this church see, see there, we got far too many people and I'm not I'm, I'm one of you I'm among you I know from which I speak this is not something that I am foreign to I understand the concept because I have been there myself I have preached sermons to people I was mad at I have prayed for people in altars who I knew were lying about me, who were attacking me and my family, who were hurting some of you, and I didn't want to necessarily pray for them. I ain't sure I wanted them helped. 
But despite me, God blessed them anyway. You know what will really honk a preacher off? Let the preacher and his family be going through something that he can't get victory over. And then him pray for some of the people that is spitefully using them. And let God touch them. You make a preacher want to cuss. Make a preacher want to quit church. I'm telling you, when you start praying for folk that you don't really, you understand that, that, that they are flawed, but you don't like the decisions that they make and you don't like the words that are coming out of their mouth and you watch God bless them all the while, you ain't getting blessed. The devil will make a deal with a Christian in a heartbeat. He can't steal your soul, but he can steal your effectiveness. He, he can't, oh my shit. Listen, I, I, I've never even thought of that this way. He can't steal your future, but he can possess your moment. See, I got to write that down because that's brand new. I never, that's, that's, he cannot, he can't help you going to heaven, but he can own this moment. He can make a deal with you, even though he can't cause you to backslide into hell. He can own this moment, cause you to worry, cause you to doubt, cause you to live in fear, cause you to have anxiety, cause depression to rule your day. He can own this moment. You can limp your way through the pearly gates because he beat you your whole life because you kept making deals with the devil even though you had victory. That's why you need to know El Elyon, the most high power. Abram said, I'm not going to let you take credit for what God's doing in my life I'm not going to make a deal with you because I want everybody to know who got me where I am and the Bible says in verse 19 that this king of Salem named Melchizedek said blessed be Abram of the most high God that's El Elyon and he says that El Elyon he uses this phrase he is the possessor of heaven and earth. <laughs> now, where were the kings that was causing all these problems? On earth. And according to his name, that means they shouldn't have rattled Abraham's cage. If you wonder why Abraham was willing to chase him down with 318 people, it was because he knows who El Elyon is. He is the possessor of heaven and earth. And anything on earth should never be able to rattle your cage because you know who owns it all. Not only does he own the cattle on a thousand hills, he owns the hills up under them cows too. See, if you ever get this into your spirit, everything will forever change with your walk with God because you will realize you have many resources, but you only have one source. Oh, I'm going to say that again. You have many resources, but never get your resources twisted up into believing they are your source. Because I don't know what you've got in your life that holds titles or powerful names or high ranks or whoever it is that you know. But however important people may be in your life, they are a user of earth. Everything you have is because it existed because you had it. So on your best day, you are a user of what the Creator created for you. That's what makes El Elyon the most high. He's not a user. He's a possessor. 
El speaks to him as being the possessor of creation. Elion gives him the rank, which means nothing is higher than him. And the reason you need to know this name is because it puts everybody else where they belong. Under God. Everybody in your life belongs under God. I'm going to say that until you get it in your spirit. Everybody in your life belongs under God. I've seen far too many single women love Jesus until they find a boyfriend. But they didn't realize that boyfriend should have been under God. That God can't never take second place to somebody just because he's got a, a fine looking car that he rides at. I've seen far too many people love Jesus until he blesses them with a job and then the job causes them to miss church and they're perfect content going to work and forgetting all about serving God in his house but that job better be up under God I, I want somebody in this church to know that God will bless you with a family if that's what you desire he'll give you a spouse he'll give you children if that's your heart's desire but please don't ever elevate a spouse above God because God is in the habit of tearing idols down and don't ever if you love me don't ever put me above God because God's in the business of tearing idols down and I don't need God to be tearing me down just to show you who he is. Always remember no matter who they are, no matter what they offer, no matter what they bring to the table, you got to tuck them somewhere up under God because he is El Elyon and he is the most high. You ought to respect people. Bible tells us to give honor to whom honor is due, but let's get something straight. I don't care how high they are. They are not most high. Please be Christian before you're Democrat. Please be a Christian before you're Republican. Please serve God before you serve the president, whoever it is. Please serve the Lord before you serve politics. Put the Lord above everything and everything else has to come under God. You remember in Isaiah chapter 14 when Satan was listing all these high and lofty things he was about to do? Oh, he tells all of his followers, the third of the angels that listen to him, he says, I'm going to put my throne up there. Here's what he said. He said, I'm going to be worshipped. I'm going to be the Mac Daddy of heaven. I'm tired of being second fiddle. I will, here's what he said, I will put my throne above the most high. When you go back and read that in the original text, I will exalt my throne above Elion. This is what the devil's downfall was. He didn't realize even he had to be under God. And that's what he's been trying to do to you ever since. He wants the last word in your life. He can't stop you from serving God and being saved. But he wants to be your authority. He wants to be the voice that you listen to. And if you buy his lies, he'll convince you that what you're up against is going to kill you. What you're up against is going to be your undoing. If you listen to his lies, he will tell you that God loves you so much he'll overlook your sin. If you buy his lies, if you do not know that his authority should be under God's authority, you will hear what the preacher preaches out of the word and make excuses why it don't apply to you. You won't know that he is the most high power. That's why the concept of learning this name is so important. Because all things answer to El Elyon. Uh, 
Bible says at the end of time, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Oh, some of them will do it screaming and fighting and clawing and roaring, but they're going to do it. Throughout the Bible, even the demons recognized God was most high. You remember that brother over in the Garden of Grenadines? You remember that? He was living in the tombs, cutting himself. City folk was scared to death of him. Wanted somebody to do something about it. Jesus stepped on the shore. He come running down out of the tombs. He cast the devil. A, a bunch of them. A legion. Come out of that brother. But before they came out, they recognized Jesus. They said, what have we done to you? That you have brought your authority here. Ain't it funny how the devil recognizes the Lord's authority, but church folk don't? We want, <laughs> we want to be the boss of everything and get to heaven when we die. Now, if the devil recognizes God's authority as the most high, but you don't in your life, it ain't God who's wrong. In our nation, we have something called a judicial system. And in the judicial system is a thing called a court of appeals. And what that basically means is if you have a case in court and it goes against you and it was unfavorable to you, you can appeal it to a higher court. And you just keep going. There's a, there's a higher court that can overrule the lesser court. So if you don't like what happened at the city court or the municipality court, you can go to the county court. And if the county courts uh, don't like uh, you and, and don't rule in your favor, go to the state court. And you can go all the way up to what's called the United States Supreme Court. That is the Elyon Court of the United States. And whatever gets said there overrides all the other lesser courts. And that's what happens in heaven. You have, the, you have access to the highest court in the universe. You need to learn that no matter what hell has spoken into your life, there is a court of appeals that is able to overrule and supersede every threat, every demonic attack, every lie, that the, every weapon formed against you. How will it not prosper? Because there is a court that I can take my petitions to. Let your petitions be known unto God with, with thanksgiving and supplication. I want somebody in this building to know this morning that no matter how bad hell has attacked you, you've still got an appeal to make. And when you make that appeal, in the court of heaven you have the power on your side a couple years ago I was trying to get to Steubenville I was going to Lowe's we was working on something over here and there was a truck overturned uh, a semi truck in that crazy curve at the end of University Bridge thing had rolled over and there was a bunch of pipes laying on the road and traffic was backed up to weird it was hot and there's a lot of people drive this road from like Pittsburgh, you know, going to Youngstown, different places. They're not from around here. And if you're not from around here, and you don't trust GPSs or don't have one, you'll sit there in that hot traffic. Because there's something that got in your way that's impeding your progress. And you ain't got no option but to wait it out. But I saw the traffic. And I know that there's more than one way to get to Steubenville from Weirton. 
So instead of pulling up on that ramp where University uh, Bridge is, I went out Route 2. And there was a free and open bridge right over to Market Street. Because there's more than one way for me to get to where I'm going to. And when I've come here to tell somebody this morning that if i got different ways to get from West Virginia to Ohio when my way gets blocked, then I want you to know that the one who made the Ohio River, if he's able to make more than one way across the river, don't you think that he can make more than one way for you to get to your prosperity, for you to get to your healing, for you to get to your breakthrough? I know you felt like that divorce was the end of you, but God can divert that thing and take you another route. I know you think that bankruptcy was the end of you, but God can divert that traffic and take you in a... I know you failed, God. I know you're sorry for what you did. You backslid on His promises, but God's not going to hold that against you. When you say you're sorry, He's just going to divert that, and He's going to use another bridge and make another way. God's got the power to get you where He wants you to go. El Elyon is the most high our problem is when we get stuck in traffic when we get stuck behind roadblocks when we get stuck behind things we think God's stuck too but he is the most high power so my prayer to you this morning is that this thing settles in your spirit and that you realize there's no temptation there's no sickness there's no threat there's no diversion God allows you turns there's no roadblocks there's no circumstances there's no pitfalls that can stop God from getting you where he destined you to be he has the power to make all things new He'll do things you haven't even thought of to make you something you never thought you could be. So as I leave you this morning, I want you to take this word with you. I want you to hide it in your heart because I promise you this. The enemy will not stop. You, you can come to church every Sunday. You get hands laid on you, you know, if we ever get back to laying hands on me. You can get hands laid on you every Sunday. I can dump a bucket of oil on your head. I can dump enough oil on your head to fry chicken. And it will not give you the victory until you understand who he is. Because it's not about how tough you are. And it's not about how much faith you have. All those things are important. Yes, you do need tenacity. Yes, you do need faith. But if you have faith in a God that don't have the power to bring you through, what good's that faith doing? The first thing that will build your faith is understanding God's bigger than the boogeyman. I mean, even VeggieTales will preach to you. you got to understand that if He is the most high power, what is it I'm supposed to be afraid of? What exactly is supposed to be making me take a step back? If I serve a God who is the most high power, why am I backing down from a fight from any foe? 
Why am I running? Why am I being like Israel and hiding in the bushes? Why ain't I like David out there saying, you ain't got to fight me anyway because I ain't fighting you, Joker. You come at me with a sword and a spear, but I've come at you with El Elyon, and he's more powerful. You a big rascal, but you ain't as big as my God. You are powerful, but you're not as powerful as my God. You got muscles, but you ain't seen muscles till my God flexes. When he flexes, the whole universe takes notice, and all the devils in hell trembles. And the problem that we have is that we have more faith in what we can do, what our boss can do, what our paychecks can do, what our uh, retirement can do, what our mortgage pay. Oh, I'm going re to renegotiate this and I'm going to get my mortgage down one point. It's fine, fine for you to do that. But do you have more confidence in the banking system or El Elyon? Some of us go to sleep at night with tears running down our cheeks. Because we don't have enough faith in who laid us down to sleep. Let me pray for you this morning. Father God, hide this word in our hearts. Help us to experience you in a new way. Not just today, God, but every day that we live. We need to know how powerful you are. You are the possessor of heaven and earth. And any trouble... That comes our way. You are the higher authority. Help us hold ourselves above them and under you. So that we know that there is none like you. We love you. We're eternally grateful for your presence and your spirit. And I call upon your healing power right now to bind up the wounds of the spirit, the mind, and the emotions of each of these under my voice this morning so that your spirit can rule and reign and build confidence in them today in who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. I love you.